Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Good morning, church. Are you doing well? Turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. I didn't enter my head that I'd be, I knew it was Father's Day, obviously, because I got a card for my father, but I didn't, it didn't equate that I would be preaching on Father's Day. So I've not got a topical message. Um, so sorry about that. I'm just going to preach about Jesus. Is that all right? Praise God. Uh, Luke 7 verse 11. The Bible says, soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. So notice that Jesus is coming into uh, this town, and um, this woman, um, well, the dead person is being carried out of the town. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and he touched the coffin. And those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Amen. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. Is everyone glad about that today? God has not come to condemn his people. God's not come to beat you around the head with a big stick. God has come to help his people this morning. Amen. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. We want the news about Jesus to spread. Amen. Throughout Cambridge, throughout the United Kingdom, the nations of the world. The first thing I want us to notice about in this passage is there were, the Bible says there were two large crowds. There was a large crowd with Jesus and then there was a large crowd with this woman. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have loved to have been that, in that crowd with Jesus. Yeah, I can just imagine that in that crowd, there was dancing, there was singing, there was celebrating. Maybe someone even brought a flag to wave, who knows. Uh, but I imagine there was just freedom and re- it was almost as if there wouldn't have been a problem, a care in the world. Uh, I, wouldn't you have liked to have been in that crowd with Jesus? But the other crowd, can you imagine a more opposite atmosphere? Can you imagine a more difficult situation than that crowd was in. That crowd was carrying a dead boy to a graveyard to bury him. It says that this boy was the only son of his mother and she was a widow. Now we've got a a, a, a little boy, Judah, he's nine months old, nearly at the back. I cannot think of a worse situation than what that woman was going through right there. And all the parents agree. I wonder which crowd are we in today? Are we in the crowd that have got no problems whatsoever? I'd like to think so, but I would imagine that maybe most of us are kind of somewhere in the middle. 
that actually, although we love Jesus, we're in the presence of Jesus. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you've been carrying something that you don't want to carry? Hello? You can talk back to me. Have you, this woman was carrying the coffin of her son. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you are carrying something that you don't want to carry? Is anyone there this morning? Maybe you've come into the house of God today and you're carrying sickness. Maybe you're coming to the house of God today and you're carrying a sin or an addiction that you're struggling with. Maybe you've come into the house of God today and you're carrying a financial burden or a marriage situation that's weighing you down. Maybe some of you, you've got family members, even kids who are away from the Lord and it's like a burden that that you're carrying. Maybe you're here today and you've come carrying depression or anxiety or or lack, all kinds of things. Who knows that even as believers, even as Christians, there can be times where we can come into God's presence and we are carrying something that we don't want to carry. What did this coffin represent for this woman? Well, it represented many things. It, of course, it represented sickness. It represented illness and disease. It represented nights of crying out to God for God to do a miracle and God seemingly not answering. Anyone ever been there? This coffin represented death and bereavement and suffering and tears and heartache. This coffin represented all these things. It represented in a real practical sense, a real worry about how she was going to survive in the future. Because in that culture uh, where men were the ones who worked with her husband dead, now her son dead, she would have had no means to earn a living and put food on the table and keep a roof over her head. All these things were represented in that coffin that she was carrying. Is any of this relating to anybody today? So here's this woman carrying this. And this woman, there's one thing that she did right. And actually this one thing that she did would lead to her breakthrough. It was this. She kept moving. Carrying that coffin, the Bible says that she walked out of the city. You see, in my experience, pain can often paralyze people. This woman could have been so shocked and so heartbroken that she could have just stayed at home crying. But instead she picked up the coffin and she began to walk out of the city. That was probably, can you imagine that would have been the longest walk of her life? As she was walking, carrying that coffin, maybe this question was going around in her her mind. Why me? You ever been there? Maybe she, maybe as she was walking through the streets of that town, she saw other mums holding their children by the hand and she looked at them and in her heart she said God why has this happened to me maybe there was a little bit of bitterness there even towards God that somehow God had failed her somehow God had let her down somehow she'd trusted God for a miracle but God had seemingly not answered maybe there was guilt there 
maybe God, if I have I done something to deserve this? Have you ever thought that? Oh, if only I'd been a better parent. If only I'd been a better husband or wife. If only I'd been a better Christian, then this wouldn't have happened. And maybe there was a, a little bit of self-blame and self-condemnation that somehow this thing that has happened to me is my fault. But she kept moving. She kept moving. I can't tell you the amount of Christians that I met that they've been full of faith until the moment they've hit a crisis in their life. And it's like that crisis has paralyzed them. I can't tell you the amount of people that I met who have been such passionate worshippers until the moment they've gone through hardship. And then that hardship has paralyzed their prayers. When I was a pastor, I would often have people who were, uh, you know, they were busy in, in the worship team or youth ministry or they were in some area of service in the church. Uh, and they would come and say, you know what, we... We're going through a real situation at the moment, so we need to take a break from serving God. We just need to put our ministry on pause for a little while. And you know what? They allowed their circumstance to paralyze them. And I'll tell you, most of them, they never actually recovered what they once had. But this woman kept moving. She kept going. And you know, some, sometimes someone, maybe someone needs to hear that this morning. Just keep going. Just keep going. Maybe there's people here and you just feel like giving up. Maybe there's people here and you feel like you can't go on anymore. But the word of God comes to you today and says, son, daughter of God, just keep walking. Just keep going. You see, what this woman didn't realize was this. That every step she was taking was a step closer to Jesus. She had no idea as she was carrying that heavy burden, as she was carrying that heavy load. If it was me, I'd have just wanted to stay at home. I wouldn't have wanted to make that journey that day. But she was taking those steps Carrying her burden, carrying the heartache, but every step she was taking was a step closer to Jesus. And you know, some of you, you may be sat there and you may not even know why you're here today. Maybe for some of you, it, it actually cost you to be here today. But you taking that step of faith to come into the house of God today, you've actually took a step into the presence of Jesus. You know, for some of us today, maybe it costs us to lift our hands in worship. Maybe for some of us, it costs us today to say the name of Jesus in faith. You know, those songs of declaration that we were singing. Maybe for some of us, we had to really sing that in faith. When we were singing about uh, God being a healer and a provider and, uh, and God being able to bring people out of the ashes. Maybe we had to sing that in faith. But as we sung those words in faith today, in in the spirit, you were actually taking a step closer to Jesus. You were taking a step closer to your miracle. You were taking a step closer to your breakthrough. You see, there was God was about to turn this situation totally on its head, upside down. You see, this woman's destination was a funeral. But her destiny was going to be a revival. Her destination was going to be a graveyard, but her destiny was going to be resurrection. You see, God is a God who is able to turn around what we think 
is our destination. He's able to turn it around into his glorious destiny. You know, I remember a few, about two, three years ago, I was ministering in Kenya. And um, we went into a prison to preach the gospel. Now, I'd never been in a prison before in my life. So I didn't really know what to expect. And I thought, well, it's okay because, you know, there'll be like a, a sheet of glass or something between me and the prisoners. But we... I was as close to like the front row as I am to Pastor Phil here, but instead of Pastor Phil, it was like, you know, some serial killer or something. I was like, what are we doing here? And all the, the guards were there with machine guns. It was like being on a movie. All the prisoners had black and white striped uniform, a bow and chain around their ankles, some of them. It was a real tough place, but we preached the gospel in the prison. And praise God, we saw dozens of the prisoners give their lives to Christ in that prison. So I thought, good meeting, let's let's go on. Uh, then the pastor gets on the mic, who's taken us in. He said, right, now the team from England, they're going to come and lay hands on all the people who've just responded to the gospel. So I'm thinking, I really hope they meant it when they, you know, put their hand up. Um, so me, me and the team were, were going down. Uh, laying hands on people, and I, I'm praying just as quick as I can. Um, and we come to this guy, and as I get to him, God gives me a word. Um, now, I'm not one of those, you know, people who like, you know, I, I know 100% that it's God. I just I just think, you know, I just step out in faith and trust that, that it's God speaking through me. But I said, through the interpreter, I said, sir, God has brought you into this prison because he wanted to meet with you here. Very soon, you will be released from this prison. And when you're on the outside, you will serve God. Well, when I said it, the people around me began to laugh. So I kind of didn't, I just kind of dismissed it. I thought, it's a bit, you know, rude. I thought they were laughing at a joke or something. Um, Afterwards, we were at lunch and they said, oh, it was so funny when you gave the man that word. So I said, what do you mean? They said, that man is in prison for murder and he is under a life sentence. And they said, in Kenya, life means life. And I'll never forget these words. They said, this man is going to die in this prison. So I thought, well, maybe I got it wrong then. I, I don't know. We went home. We went back to England. Two weeks later, I got an email from the pastor. He said, you're never going to believe what's happened. He said, there was a problem in that prison with overcrowding. And so what the government did for the first time ever in history is they wrote a letter uh, with names of prisoners who were in that prison for minor crime, just to release them, get them out in society so that more serious prisoners could come in and use the much needed space. They said, for some reason that no one understands, this man's name got on the list. He woke up one morning with a signed letter from the president saying, your sentence has been cancelled, you are free to go. He walked out of the prison. He found the church, found the pastor and said, God has done what he said he was going to do. I'm here to do my part. I'm here to serve Jesus. You see, that man's destination was... You're going to die in this prison. But his destiny was, you are going to be a servant of God. And friends, sometimes our destination looks hopeless. 
But the Bible says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. And right now, some of you, your destination might look like you're going to die of that sickness. Your destination might look like you're going to be on that medication for the rest of your life. For some of you, maybe your destination looks like that marriage is going to end in divorce. Those kids are going to end up in jail. That bill is not going to be paid. But I declare to you today that God is able to turn our destination around into his glorious destiny. And his destiny for your life is healing, is provision, is joy, is salvation for your loved ones, is blessing, is fruitfulness, is harvest, is the fullness of his spirit in your life. That is your destiny. And no matter how your situation looks right now, God is a God who is able to step in and release his glorious destiny into the most hopeless of situations. Somebody say amen. Amen. This woman, as she was taking these steps out of the city, she had no idea that the that that Jesus was coming the other way. You see, the Bible says that as we move, as we draw close to God, He draws close to us, and the very answer to her need was coming the other way. You see, she was going to that graveyard carrying the dead body of her son. But coming the other way was the one who is the resurrection and the life. Coming the other way is the one who is the name above all names. Coming the other way was the one who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Coming the other way was the one who is the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. The Word of God, Emmanuel, God with us. God's one and only Son, the Creator of the heavens and the earth. The Anointed One, the Christ, the Messiah. Coming the other way was the one who is the bright morning star. The bread of life, the way, the truth and the life. The light of the world. Coming to the other way was the one anointed with joy. Coming the other way was the one who raises the dead, who heals the sick, who sets the captives free. And right there, in that gate of the town called Nain, there was about to be a collision. A collision. You see, maybe it was just a coincidence that the moment that woman came out of the city was the very moment Jesus was going in. Maybe it's a coincidence. But I don't believe so. I believe that Jesus came right on time. You know, she thought that it was too late. I mean, while he was sick, there was a chance God could heal. But now it's too late, surely. No, no, actually, Jesus came right on time. And you're glad that God is a God who always comes. He always turns up. The the Bible says in Song of Songs, here he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. I love that verse because it shows me that God is a God who will skip over mountains just to get to you. Just to get to you in your lowest point of need. God is a God who always comes. And right there in the gate, there was going to be this collision between these two crowds. The presence of darkness was going to collide with the presence of Jesus. The presence of death was going to collide with life. Despair was going to collide with the living hope. Grief was going to collide with the one anointed with joy. In this collision, 
who is going to win? Who is going to overcome? You see, there's a law in nature. And it's this, that when two objects collide, the greater, more powerful force is always going to overcome the weaker, lesser one. Yeah? I'm not, you know, a scientist, but I understand that. Yeah, if, uh, you know, I was to step out into the road and a huge truck driving at 60 miles an hour just runs over me, who knows that that's going to have a bigger impact on me than it is on the truck. Because that truck is bigger than I am. It's more powerful than I am. And when two objects collide, the greater, more powerful one is always going to overcome the lesser one. I want to tell you, in that collision at the gate of Nain, let me tell you, Death had no chance. Grief had no chance. Despair had no chance. Hopelessness had no chance. Because Jesus was greater. Jesus was stronger. Jesus was more powerful. And this is what the, Paul says in, in the scriptures. He said, the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. That means that no matter how strong your situation is, Jesus is stronger. No matter how big your situation seems to be, Jesus is bigger. No matter how powerful your situation seems to be, Jesus is more powerful. Are we ready for a collision today with your need in the presence of Jesus? You see, God's love is stronger than our fears because perfect love casts out fear. God's grace is stronger than our sin because if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive our sin. God's provision is stronger than our lack for my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ. God's presence is stronger than our bondage for where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. God's word is stronger than our situations, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. His sacrifice is stronger than our sickness, for by his stripes I am healed. And his his strength is stronger than our weakness, for when I am weak, then I am strong. His power is made perfect in my weakness." In this collision, Jesus won. Jesus overcame. And I want to declare to every person here, no matter what your need is, in the presence of Jesus today, a collision can take place with your need and his sufficiency. And Jesus always wins. Jesus always overcomes because he is greater. He is higher. He is bigger. He is stronger. He is more loving. He is more powerful than anyone or anything. Can someone say amen today? You see, we all have needs, don't we? Because we live in a world of need. Because 2,000 years ago, uh, sorry, um, 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and shed his blood on the cross. Why? Because when Adam and Eve sinned, this world came under a curse. And I want to speak to people here today, maybe you're here today, and I don't know every person here, but maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. And who is this Jesus that we're talking about? Who is this Jesus that this church believes in and worships and proclaims? Well, very simply, the good news of Jesus is this, that although this world, you know, people sometimes look at the world and they say, Oh, if if God is a God of love, why is there so much pain? Why is there so much suffering? And the answer is because mankind rejected God. And the curse of sin came into this world. 
But 2,000 years ago, as Jesus hung on that cross, his blood was shed. And as his blood poured out of his head and his back and his hands and his feet, as his blood hit that dusty Jerusalem ground, there was a collision between the curse of sin and the blood of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you that the blood was more powerful. The blood was stronger. And friends, today, 2,000 years later, when we cry out on the name of Jesus, he comes and washes us in his blood. And no matter what our sin is, no matter what our past is, no matter what our addiction is or our problem is, his blood has more power. His blood speaks a better word, a greater word, and his blood has the power to wash us, to cleanse us, to forgive us, and to turn our eternal destination, which may be hell-bound, into a glorious destiny, which is heaven, eternity, sons and daughters of the living God. That's the power. When we call on the name of Jesus, there is a collision with his blood and our sin, and his blood always washes, always cleanses, always forgives. Another reason why we're in a world of need is because there is a kingdom at work and it's called the kingdom of darkness. Who knows that as we look around the world, we don't have to look very far to see the kingdom of darkness at work. Yeah? But praise God that when Jesus came, Jesus came bringing another kingdom. I love what Jesus said in Luke 11. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. I love that all God needs is his little finger to dispel the powers of darkness. Do you know there's something powerful? Wherever Jesus went, there was a collision between those two kingdoms. And God's kingdom always overcomes the power of Satan. Amen. I remember uh, being in Argentina in 2012 and I was preaching on Sunday morning. And uh, the title of my message that morning was, There's Power in the Name of Jesus. What I didn't realize was that in that service that day, there was a witch. And this, he was a male witch and actually he was, his brother was the head witch of the city that we were in. It was a family that was bound in witchcraft. And about 20 minutes into my message on this power in the name of Jesus, I started to preach about the blood and the cross. Right there, there was about to be a collision between two kingdoms. Guess which one won? This man began to manifest an evil spirit and the ushers, God bless them, started to take him outside because he was disturbing the meeting. And I said, what are you doing? Don't take him out. Bring him to the front. Let's minister to him. Um... So I put the microphone down and we started to pray over this guy. And in the space of an hour, um, he was, he had many demons cast out of him. Um, addictions in his life were broken off of him. He gave his life to Christ. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. And at the end of the meeting, his wife and little girl came and gave their lives to Jesus as well. Friends, it doesn't matter how strong the kingdom of darkness may appear. The kingdom of God is greater. The kingdom of God is more powerful. And let, let me tell you something today. When we begin to lift up the name of Jesus, do you know what happens? His kingdom comes. When we begin to declare the promises of God, do you know what happens? His kingdom comes. When we start to sing his praises, do you know what happens? His kingdom comes. And when his kingdom comes, every other kingdom has to bow the knee at the name of King Jesus. And I want to encourage you today. 
that you may be here today and you, you may not be going through a difficulty. Let me tell you, it will come. But you don't need to be a prophet to, to hear that one. Jesus, as, as we already heard, trouble will come in this world. But be of good cheer. There's an overcoming kingdom that you're a part of. And when that trouble comes, when that difficulty comes, you lift up the name of Jesus. You begin to sing his praises. You stand on his word and watch his kingdom come into your finance, come into your home, come into your health. And when it does, every other kingdom has to bow the knee to Jesus. Amen. I want to wrap this up in a few moments, but I just want to leave you with a, a challenge and I want us just to look at one other passage of scripture. Um, turn to Acts chapter 3. This is just um, an encouragement as well as a challenge. Acts chapter 3. I'm just going to read this as quickly as possible because um, I don't want us to kind of spend a lot of time on, the, on this passage. I just want to show you something from here. It says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Amen. This, like in Luke 7, is another collision between the power of God and someone's need. But I want you to see very carefully a significant difference. This woman was walking and moving into the presence of Jesus. Yeah? This man wasn't going anywhere. He couldn't walk. He couldn't get into the house of God. He physically could not get into church that day. He was put outside. There's two kinds of people in Cambridge this morning. There are those with needs who are here this morning, and you made this decision to come into the presence of Jesus this morning. Praise God. But who knows that there's many, many more who either physically can't or have no desire to come into the house of God today. Or is everyone in Cambridge born again, filled with the Holy Ghost? You know, every church has its beggars at the gate. Those on the doorstep of the church who are crippled by sin, crippled by addiction, crippled by need. And they too need an encounter with the gospel. Well, this man was also going to have a collision with the gospel that day. But not through Jesus, because Jesus wasn't there. He was in heaven. But actually, it was the church that went and met this man where he was. And as Peter and John collided with this man's need, resurrection power, healing, the good news of Jesus was going to turn his situation totally upside down. You know what I love about Peter and John? It says, if you read chronologically, and again, we've not got time to go into this, but just a few days before that, the Bible says that Peter, John, the other disciples, they were in the house with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. 
Now, where are they going? To the temple, the very center of Jewish religion. What a changed? A baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire that had given them a passion for the lost, a boldness to witness. And here they went, ready to collide with a world that was in need. You know, most of the church in the United Kingdom, we've got the doors locked in fear. Um, we want to lock out the darkness. But you know what the true church in these last days, God is looking for? Not a church that's going to lock the doors and try and keep the darkness out. But actually a church who's going to take the power of the Holy Spirit and the good news of Jesus and actually go and collide with a world that's in need. And I believe that as you are going out on the, the streets of Cambridge, and as many of you are, but I want to speak to, to those who maybe have not had the courage yet to do that or the desire to do that. Actually, God has not called you just to stay in with the doors locked, but God has called you to take what God has given you and to collide with the world that's in need, knowing that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And when you take the good news of Jesus and you collide with the addicts, you collide with the prostitutes, you collide with the hopeless. When you're, when what you carry collides with them, miracles take place, salvations take place, lives are turned upside down, even in the most darkest of situations. One more story. Um, I was sharing this with Pastor uh, Phil last night. When we were in Argentina in March, um, we went to a little town um, called Chancani. Uh, which is a population of only 500 people. Uh, to give you an idea of how remote it was, we were driving on this road to get there for one hour, and we only passed one car the whole time. It was just it looked literally in the middle of nowhere. Other pastors I met on the trip, when we told them we were going, they, they looked at me like, what on earth are you going there for? There's nothing there. Um, Chankany is an incredibly needy town. Again, it's, it's a real miracle how we ended up there, but I've not got time to tell you that story. Um, but um, because it's so isolated, there's an incredible amount of poverty, unemployment. There's no shop, but there are pubs. So that gives you an idea of the culture of the town. Lots of drunkenness, even incest that goes off among family members. It's a real dark place, a real dry place, spiritually as well as physically. Um, it's just dusty everywhere. Um, and we went and we did a meeting in the open air in the town square. And the first night we had about 20 people turn up. Um, but here was the amazing thing. Over the road, loads of people came out of the pub to watch what was happening. Too scared to come to the meeting, but curious. We preached the gospel. We had probably about five, six people respond. But everyone wanted prayer. So I was just praying for people. And I didn't expect this because it was like just literally in the middle of the town. But people started to fall out under the power of God. Um, as they're, they're kind of lying on the floor as the Holy Spirit's coming on them, I noticed all the people from over the road start to run over and are staring like, what on earth is happening here? Uh, well, that night we went back to the place we were staying. We woke up. The woman whose house we were staying in came in the next morning, all excited. She said, everyone in the town is speaking about what happened last night. Um, she said, um, they've heard that there are guests with magical powers that have come. Um, so I'm like, okay, well, that night the place was packed. 
Um, and that night we saw about 150 people give their lives to Jesus, which may be like a drop in the ocean for a city like Cambridge, but for a town of 500, that's like over a quarter of the population. Um, we saw God touch people. There was a, a woman I prayed for. She had a, a back problem and she had a, a top that exposed her back. Um, as I prayed for her, she fell face down on the floor and I watched as the bones under her skin all moved back into place uh, and she got totally healed by the power of God. Got in the darkest of places, God did an incredible work because uh, I'm not saying this to, to boast that there were other people with me, but we went and took the the gospel and collided with need in a place where even people from Argentina were saying no one goes there. And friends, let me tell you, even in the most darkest of neighborhoods, the darkest of situations, I want to encourage you, we have something to give. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give unto you. We have something to give. Let's take what we have and collide with the world that's in need. Amen? Now I'm going to close with this. Those who have been observant. In Nain, where did the miracle pl- take place? Where did the, the collision take place? In the gateway. Yeah. Both stories as a gate. In Luke, uh, Luke 7, it says that they met at the gate of the town Nain. In Acts 3, the man is placed at the gate of the temple. What was the name of the gate? Beautiful. Do you know what the name Nain means in Hebrew? It means beautiful. Both collisions, both miracles took place at a gate called beautiful. Now again, maybe that's coincidence. Or maybe God's showing us something right there. That if we can bring our need to a beautiful gate, miracles can take place. If we can bring our hopeless situations to a beautiful gate, hope can come. If we can bring death and decay to a beautiful gate, resurrection can come. What is a beautiful gate? Well, 2,000 years ago, someone stood up. His name was Jesus. And he said, I am the gate for the sheep. And friends, tonight, today, this afternoon, morning, whatever time it is, if we can come to Jesus, to his presence, I believe miracles can take place. I believe salvation can take place. I believe, uh, God, just as we were worshiping, God, I just, uh, God just um, dropped this word on my heart. Chains are breaking. And literally, I looked up and the verse we were came on, um, what, what was it? Some, to our God, chains are broken. I believe God wants to break chains today. God wants to bring breakthrough today. But it's not in the presence of a preacher. It's not just because someone's laying hands on you. It's about coming to the beautiful gate. It's about coming into the presence of Jesus. If we can just put that passage, Luke 7, back up again. And can we just put up verse 13. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. You know, God is a God of love. God is a God of compassion. He's not here to judge you. He's not here to blame you. His heart goes out to every person here, to every need represented in this place today. Then he went up and he touched the coffin. Now I want you to listen very carefully to this statement. 
I don't know about you, but if some random stranger came and started touching my son's coffin, I'd get a little bit ticked off. But listen, if you want him to resurrect it, you've got to allow him to touch it. You see, there are areas in our lives that are so painful that we don't want anyone to touch them, even God. And that's sometimes we can come to church and, you know, the pastor can say, oh, how are you doing? And we've had, you know, uh, we're carrying all this stuff, but we're like, oh, I'm, praise God, God's good, amen. But will we be vulnerable in God's presence today? Will we be vulnerable in the presence of our brothers and sisters today? And will we allow God to touch that thing that maybe seems so painful? You know, it's Father's Day today. Maybe even for some of you, that's a painful thing. For whatever reason, it's a word from God for someone right there. Whenever you think of Father's Day, all that mem- all that you think of is pain. And you, you try and just put an anesthetic on that pain, a bandage on that pain. But the Lord says today, you need to unwrap the bandage. And even though it, it looks ugly, it looks a painful sore, you have to allow him to touch it. Because his touch is the only touch that will bring healing. But that you have to unwind the bandage that you put on in order for him to touch it. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. You know, the only opinion that matters is what he says. Probably the day before, doctors would have said to that woman, your boy's dead. But now Jesus comes. And he says, I say to you, get up. What does Jesus say today? Next verse. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Aren't you glad that God is a God of restoration? That which she thought was lost was placed back in her arms. And that's what God's here to do today. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.